Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 for a few minutes in this second assembly. And let's look at the rest of this 18th verse of the first chapter. For those of you who think I'm going too slow, I had every intention of getting through the 23rd verse. For those of you who think I'm going too fast, I like you. (laughs) Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The truth they hold, allowing me to jump ahead, is the truth shown by creation. That there is a creator God with glory, and they do not give him that glory. God calls it truth in this passage. He has shown it to them clearly. He has given them an understanding of it, and they hold that truth. They know that there is a creator God in heaven, and yet they go on and live an unrighteous life. And his wrath is going to burn against them because all Gentiles have the knowledge of God from the heavens declaring his glory out of Psalm 19, the first six verses that we read earlier today. And yet they go ahead and live an unrighteous life and God will hold them accountable. They are without excuse by what the natural creation reveals about our creator and our God. But the 18th verse, for the wrath of God is revealed. I told you starting this morning to remember four things. That God reveals His will, Himself, by creation, providence, conscience, and revelation. There are four teachers of truth, and we're going to consider each one in its turn. About the wrath of God being revealed. The Old Testament taught that wrath, and I briefly mentioned it to you. The Bible says, The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity in Psalm 5 and verse 5. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Psalm 9 and verse 17. The terms of the law were unbelievably harsh. If two men were striving together, two men were fighting. And the wife of one of the men drew near to help her husband by grabbing the other man by his secrets. Her hand was to be cut off. The word word of God, thine eye shall not pity her. That's severe for what we would consider a minor offense against the law of God with a good motive to help her husband. But that is the word of the Lord. If a girl got married, lived for 20 years, and on her 20th anniversary, she offended her husband, and and he accused her of being a whore, and she wasn't a virgin when she married him, if the father of that girl, who's now a woman, married 20 years, couldn't produce the tokens of virginity, that girl was burned with fire. So shalt thou put away evil from Israel. That is the God we worship. It was revealed in the Old Testament. It's revealed in the New Testament. In chapter 2, the Apostle Paul in verses 2 through 11, describes a day of righteous vengeance that is coming from God upon the wicked. If you read Second Thessalonians 1 last night, then you read about the Lord Jesus Christ descending from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am telling you true truth that is not taught anywhere, hardly anywhere, And we must remember it, believe it, and defend it, and remind each other of it in our church. I told you about the Apostle Paul explaining to Felix about judgment to come. 
and how he trembled. How when Paul met with the philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens, Greece, he spoke of the day of judgment coming. A fundamental aspect of our gospel is that Jesus Christ is bringing eternal judgment upon the wicked. So, the Old Testament has revealed the wrath of God. The New Testament reveals the wrath of God. There are also some large events that have taken place in world history that God expects men to have learned from that there is the wrath of God that comes from heaven upon men when they sin against Him. I'd like you to turn to Second Peter chapter 3 in your Bibles to remind you of the flood. And if you were to see my outline, there are a couple of points in this particular paragraph that I'm now working through where I have highlighted the words because they are so important. It is an error of human nature to ignore or reject events that teach the truth of God's anger and wrath against sin in order for you to be able to live a sinful life without it bothering you too much. In the Bible, it's called willful or willing ignorance. And I want to show you about that as it pertains to the flood. The only reason that these events that I'm about to mention are ignored in world history and by men is because they have made a decision not to retain God's knowledge in their minds. Right. Romans 1.28. We will get to it in its turn. But I want you to think about willingly ignorant. When a person chooses to be ignorant of something they know because they don't want it bothering them when they go and live the way they want to. They will not retain God in their knowledge. They get rid of anything about God that would restrict them from fulfilling their lusts. And chapter 1 and verse 28 teaches us that. But here in 2 Peter 3, there is a great event that took place in the history of the world that was the wrath of God upon sinful men. Nothing like it has ever happened. That little toaster with the, with the burnt toast that took place at the World Trade Center a few years ago is nothing in comparison to the entire earth being drowned by the flood. Amen. And for 120 years, it was announced that it was going to happen by Noah, the preacher of righteousness before the flood came, and who was the builder of the ark. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter warns his audience, his readers, that there would be scoffers in the last time, verse 3, who would walk after their own lusts and would ask the question, where is the promise of His coming? Verse 4, For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. We don't see any changes taking place. There isn't any God like you preach. Peter's warning them, and I'm warning you. They will say, you're preaching the God of the Old Testament, and He went away. Jesus is love. God is love. And that's what the New Testament teaches. Well, I think I'm in the New Testament, unless they've moved Second Peter recently. But in Second Peter chapter 3... Here we have verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of. They choose to be ignorant of this event. That by the word of God the heavens were of old. God created the heavens and the earth by his word. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. This is the truth of God's word. And if, it's, if this is all the farther I get today is Romans 1.18, then so be it, Lord bless the preaching of your word to the benefit of your people. 
willingly ignorant. And do you know who Peter's writing to? Jews. They had been entrusted with Genesis chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. They were the ones that knew the most about the flood. And yet they had chosen to be ignorant of that event. And that this event should be talked about in our newspapers, in our schools. It should be remind, the earth should be reminded of this event over and over because God is now going to unleash a flood of fire on this earth and it's coming soon. But no one's talking about it. Am I sick? Am I crazy? Am I hallucinating? But no one talks about it. But it's here in the Bible. That the heavens and the earth that are now are held in store against a flood of fire. When the Lord Jesus Christ will come to burn them up. The point I want to make. They are willingly ignorant. This is what mankind does. God reveals truth to them. They hear about the flood. Did you, did you know that all, most every nation, all the ancient nations, forget the recent ones. Most ancient nations have an oral tradition or a written tradition that there was a worldwide flood that drowned all men but eight. But they're willingly ignorant of it. This same thing is going to happen to this earth again. I don't care about their armies. I don't care about their satellites. I don't care if they get a man on the moon to live there for a month and eat green cheese. This is going to happen. The wrath of God is being revealed. And there were plenty of events in the Old Testament. Will you consider a few more with me? The whole earth got together in a United Nations project on the plains of Shinar and built a tower that was going to reach to heaven to keep them from being dispersed because God had told them to spread abroad and replenish the earth. It's called the Tower of Babel when he changed all their languages and so that all the language confusion that now exists on the earth originated in Genesis chapter 11 by the anger of God when he went down and saw that they were rebelling against his commandment. He burned up the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you don't think that those events were well known in the world at that time, why in the world does the world remember 3,000? 3,000. It does, you can't even calculate a number that small against our nation's population that died in the Twin Towers. And I'm sorry that the event happened. But I trust the living God that controls all such things. And there's no sparrow that falls from heaven without his control. But if they make such a big deal about that, why is there no mention of all the cities of the plain, including the two major cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, being burned up in one day with fire that fell straight from heaven? Because they're willingly ignorant of it, brethren. Those events went down in world history at that time, but they got rid of it because do you know what that burning up meant? That God was displeased with the activities of the men of Sodom. Now can you figure out why they don't want to talk about that? Because the Sodomites today don't want a reminder that God hates their sexual proclivities and practices. It's an abomination to Him. And boy, we'll, we, we, we will work that subject over before we get out of Romans chapter 1. Because it's there so thoroughly. Are you with me? These events happened. And this is how the wrath of God... This is another way that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The flood. The Tower of Babel. Sodom and Gomorrah being burned up. How about the plagues of Egypt? I could turn you to passages on every one of these. And almost every case, it will tell you so that God's name will be known throughout the whole earth. Right. Do you know why God did what he did to Pharaoh? To get himself a name throughout the whole earth. Did you know that that event was recorded by other nations? It was in their newspapers that the mightiest empire on earth, the Egyptian empire, was reduced to a bunch of driveling little children 
and women left at home because God wiped out their armies in the Red Sea. And before he had done that, he had desecrated and desolated that nation and given their wealth to the Israelites. Even for this same purpose, if I raise thee up, O Pharaoh, that I might get myself a name in all the earth. That's right. The wrath of God has been poured out upon this earth before. But men are willingly ignorant of it, and they will not retain God in their knowledge. I'm sorry for repeating myself, but repetition is part of learning. And I don't want you to ever forget why these events don't pop up in Sports Illustrated once in a while. Why in Sports Illustrated doesn't it bring up some of these events? Or in the New York Times, they will not retain God in their knowledge and they're willingly ignorant of these events because there's sufficient evidence that they could go back and recreate these, I mean, see these events for all that they are. We know them from right here. We know they happened. The plagues of Egypt. Did you know that the Philistines, the Philistines remembered those plagues several hundred years later? There was a day when the Philistines went to battle against the Israelites, and the Israelites foolishly brought the Ark of the Covenant out onto the battlefield. When the Ark of the Covenant arrived at the army, the army shouted so loud that it says it echoed across the whole, the, it echoed across the whole area, and the Philistines heard it come into their camp, and they, they were all petrified, because they knew that this had never been done before to have the Ark of the Covenant out on the battlefield. And do you know what, they, what the generals said that got up in front of the Philistine army? Now listen. We know that the God of these people is a great God that destroyed Egypt and wiped out an army ten times better than we've ever been, and that's the Egyptian army. But unless you want to be slaves of these people, we've got to go fight like men. Well, God had already purposed the Philistines were going to win that day because they weren't supposed to have taken the Ark of the Covenant into battle. The Ark of the Covenant was to stay where God wanted it, and that's in the holy place of His tabernacle. But think about what they said. The Philistines remembered several hundred years later about what God had done to the Egyptians. Why don't they remember it today? They will not retain God in their knowledge and they willingly are ignorant of these things. How about the annihilation of the Canaanites? Look at Joshua chapter 2 with me. Joshua chapter 2. I hope you know I wouldn't say a thing up here if I couldn't back it up with Bible verses to show you exactly the point that I'm trying to make. Lord, help keep me honest to that at all times. Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 are the words of Rahab the harlot. And I want you to hear what she said to the two spies that came and stayed with her while the city was searching for them. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 9, she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. They hadn't fought a battle yet. I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. Forty years earlier, when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites, that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed... And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Amen. Amen. Don't you love Rahab? So did the Lord. She's the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, a few times removed. And the mother of David, just a couple times removed. Notice, they were all faint like women. 
because they had heard about what God had done because his anger is revealed from heaven. If you're wondering where I'm going, Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. How is it revealed? It's revealed in the Old Testament. It's revealed in the New Testament. And it's revealed by light, earth-shattering, huge events that killed millions of people. But, peop- but men are willingly ignorant of these events and they will not retain that God in their knowledge. But I'm just getting started. In 1 Samuel chapter 6, the entire nation of the Philistines was struck with a nationwide case of hemorrhoids. And the only way that they could make peace with God and get rid of their hemorrhoids was to humble themselves and pose so that their hemorrhoids could be copied. And a refiner and an artificer in gold could make five golden hemorrhoids, one for each capital city of the Philistines, and put it on an ox cart, take the calves of those oxen away from them, and see where they go. And they went off straight for Israel. And they knew that the God of, they knew that the God of heaven, who had made them scratch their hiney parts for the last seven months, was God in heaven above, and that they had just made peace with him by modeling their hemorrhoids. Now, you see, there's two whole chapters in the Bible about that. Listen, I, I don't have a hang-up about this issue. I just love the God of heaven that would put two chapters in my Bible. And I, I regret that it wasn't in the Bible story book that you read to me when I was a child. Because I would have really enjoyed you explaining what a hemorrhoid was. I love my father. They don't tell this story. There's two whole chapters. But you know what? When you get over into Psalm 78, you have this... Let me read this little obscure verse. I love the obscure ones if the Lord just shows them to us. He smote his enemies in the hinder parts. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Now, if you were just cruising through Psalm 78 and you read verse 66, you wouldn't be sure what he was talking about. He smote his enemy in the hinder parts. It sounds like he sent another army to catch them in the backside of their army. But no, it was to catch them in the backside. What am I bringing that up for? A whole nation... A whole nation had a terrible object lesson that lasted seven months long, where their god, Dagon, an idol, would fall down and worship the Ark of the Covenant while they had it. They would get up in the morning and tip their god back up into place. Stay there. But they would leave the Ark of the Covenant in front of it. And so the next morning they come in, poof, there's Dagon worshiping the Ark of the Covenant. It's in the Bible. A whole nation. Where the knowledge of that God go? They will not retain God in their knowledge, and they are willingly ignorant of these things. And I'm telling you about world events that are much larger than the ones that this world gets all excited about. They worry about a little tsunami that took out 200,000 people. How about a worldwide flood that lasted over a year and drowned every single thing that had the breath of life in it? How about the destruction of Sennacherib's army? 185,000 chosen Assyrian soldiers that were all dead corpses in the morning. And as soon as Sennacherib found out that his whole army had been killed by an angel of the Lord that night, he got on his little horsey and went back to his capital city and went into his temple to make peace with his God to find out what had happened. And his two sons came in and killed him while he was worshiping that God because he had opened his mouth against the God of heaven. Do you think that might have had a little article somewhere in the newspapers of that time? Do you think on an MSN homepage they might have had just a little bit about 185,000 soldiers being killed in one night of the most feared army on earth? Why haven't men retained the knowledge of God? Because they refuse to do so. It's an act of rebellion against God. 
Nebuchadnezzar. Listen, brethren, Nebuchadnezzar, after he had events, the Lord God spoke to him in such a way that he would write a letter to the entire world. How did you get high in Nebuchadnezzar's army or in, in Nebuchadnezzar's government by worshiping the God of heaven and having names like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Daniel? Those four men sat next to the king in the book of Daniel. Where am I? Acts is not Daniel. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. In Daniel chapter 3, we have a fiery furnace established by Nebuchadnezzar. And he's going to have his praise band play. And all the men, all the sheriffs, all the counselors, all the rulers, all the princes and the governors, the captains and the judges and the treasurers are to fall down and worship that image. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not do it. And by the time the Lord got done with Nebuchadnezzar with this fantastic event that had representatives from every province and nation that was known on earth. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said to all of them, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the last three verses of chapter 3 of Daniel. Who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word. Now Nebuchadnezzar was not used to saying that. But the God of heaven, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego has changed the king's word. They have yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Praise the God of heaven. I'm trying to explain to you, and it's why I'm tortured this day for not making more progress, but what Romans 1.18 is trying to tell you. The Lord God has given so many object lessons to the world for the heathen nations to humble themselves and worship Him. Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king the world has ever seen, bar none. I don't mean Solomon. Solomon couldn't have held a candle compared to Nebuchadnezzar in battle. Jerusalem could be swallowed up by the smallest segment of Babylon. God himself says Nebuchadnezzar was king of kings. Earthly speaking, naturally speaking, he wrote to all nations and told them that. You know what he did in chapter 4, don't you? How does he start off chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar the king, first person to the rest of the world. Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show you the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, exclamation point, and how mighty are his wonders, exclamation point. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Why isn't that letter made required reading or memorization of our students in history classes? Who cares about the Charge of the Light Brigade? I don't care about 600 soldiers that were stupid enough to kill themselves in such a ridiculous charge. I want to hear about the greatest king that ever lived, and he blesses and praises the Most High God to the whole known world. That's the beginning of the chapter. The whole chapter is his personal letter. He sat there and dictated this from the throne of Babylon. And he comes to the last few verses. 
Verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I, Nebuchadnezzar, first person to all you peoples, nations, and languages, on the face of the whole earth, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. Revealed from heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Darius, in Daniel chapter 6, threw Daniel to a fiery, I mean, threw Daniel to a den of lions because Daniel's peers had tried to get rid of him because they were jealous of his perfect character and the love that Darius had for him. Let me read you the words of another king. You want, to, you want to deal in political history? Here's some political history that counts. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, you know why I'm reading this, don't you? How's the wrath of God revealed from heaven? How's it revealed? By, by stupendous events in the natural realm that these kings wrote about, the greatest kings on earth. This is the Persian Empire. King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. He used the same letterhead. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Have men known about the God of heaven? These things they are willingly ignorant of. They will not retain God in their knowledge because they have a heart that hates God because it is depraved just like your heart and my heart and we love our sins more than we love God. And he allows us to get away with that for a while but his wrath is burning against us right now and it is accumulating wrath and the fire is getting hotter. This is what the Bible says. He is heaping up wrath against the day of wrath when he pours it all out against his enemies. You say, well, that's only two kings. Let it be established in the mouth of three witnesses. Okay, I was hoping you'd say that so I'd have a justification to read the next one. The next one would come from Ezra chapter 1, Nehemiah, Ezra, where the king Cyrus has this to say. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. How did men, have men known about the God of heaven? See, there's no letters like this that come out from our president. Read his proclamation about thanksgiving and try to figure out what he's saying compared to what we just read. Aren't those words wonderful? Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
that the word of the Lord with the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver, and with gold, and with goods, and with beasts, beside the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. <laughs> Do you are you able to understand what he's saying? For those of you that don't go with these 58,000 Jews that are going back to rebuild Jerusalem, I expect you to pay their way. And they put it in writing. He is the God. If you were to go look at that passage, you would find in parentheses where Cyrus said, make sure, scribe, that you put in there, he is the God. There's no God like the God of Israel. And he's charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem. At the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, wise men came from the east and they came into Jerusalem and they appeared before Herod. They got an audience with Herod. They must have been real paupers. They got an audience with Herod and they said, we have come to worship the king of the Jews. It troubled Herod and all of Jerusalem. Why has that event been lost except on bail mass cards? Shepherds were abiding with their flocks that night. And there was a stupendous event in the heavens of the angels of God, the whole heavenly host, announcing the birth of Jesus Christ. They went to that manger, and they found it just as the angels had described, and that was noised abroad in the countryside. So we've got the city, and we've got the countryside, all knowing that something stupendous is going on. Our religion wasn't done in a corner, brethren. When our Lord Jesus Christ died, there was an earthquake that tore the rocks and opened the tombs. And there was darkness over the face of all the earth for three hours from noon, Jerusalem time, till 3 p.m. in the afternoon. It was so incredible that the centurion responsible for his death stood there and said, Surely, truly, this man was the Son of God. He rose from the dead three days later, just like he had said. And the soldiers came and reported, we do have something bizarre to tell you. We were, knocked, we were knocked into paralysis and could not see or move, except that stone was rolled away, and when we did come to, the body was gone. We will pay you a large sum of money to make sure you remain willingly ignorant and do not retain God in your knowledge. That's right. And so that rumor that his disciples had come and stolen his body away was perpetuated by unbelievers for a great sum of money. People who hear us teach and preach about election and predestination and say you're teaching what a God that isn't fair, what I'm trying to show you is that our God is more than fair. In the revelations that he has made, he has revealed his wrath from heaven, he has revealed his mercy from heaven, and men have rebelled against that revelation. They are willingly ignorant of it. He foretold the destruction of Jerusalem, and he said this gospel of the kingdom, describing the destruction of this city, will be preached in all the world for a witness 
Then will the end come. I won't let this happen to Jerusalem until the whole world knows that it's going to happen. Then it'll happen, so you'll know that I am the Son of God. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 32. I gave you just a little sampling from the pages of Scripture. Jeremiah 32. Entire nations were wiped out. Seven nations lost their place in the land of Canaan by God enabling the armies of Israel against their armies. Jeremiah 32. I hope I haven't told you the verse. Verse 17 is where I want to start reading. Jeremiah 32:17. Are you with me, brethren? Ah, oh, Lord God! Exclamation point. Ah, oh, Lord God! Behold, Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by Thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for Thee. That's the natural creation. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts, is His name. There is individual providence. Verse 19, great in counsel and mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give every one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings which hath set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day, a thousand years later, and in Israel, and among other men, and has made thee a name as at this day. What I want out of that wonderful passage are the four words in the middle of verse 20, and among other men. God had done things, among other men, not just Israel, not just Egypt, in order to get himself a name. That is why Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and Cyrus gave him a name and were willing to do so. Because he had got himself a name. The Philistines gave him a name because he had done so to the Egyptians before them. Brethren, this is how God has revealed himself. Providence. Is God's revelation. I'm moving on. We're going to end here very shortly. For the wrath of God is revealed. But there's goodness that's also revealed. And that goodness is withheld sometimes from men. And they know that God is angry with them when that goodness is withheld. We get this out of verse 21 of this first chapter where it says, Neither were thankful. There are good things that happen to men and they're not thankful for them. Look at Acts chapter 14, a passage that I referred to this morning, but I want you to actually see its words. Acts chapter 14, Paul has come to the city of Lystra. He's healed an impotent man who's been crippled from his mother's womb who never had walked. And these people, once they see that miracle, think that he's a god come down from heaven. So they call Paul, Mercurius, after the planet Mercury, and Barnabas, Jupiter. Because he was the chief speaker, they called Paul Mercurius. And they brought oxen and were going to do sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas, who ran in among the people, tore their clothes, and said, Sirs, verse 15, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, 
which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Do you understand that when we use those words, God that made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are therein, we are not using some little rote prayer of the Roman Catholics. We are appealing to God as the creator of heaven who's made himself known to all men by this work of creation. It's a way to glorify God. The apostles prayed that way in Acts chapter 5. Paul appealed to them this way here in Acts chapter 14. Verse 16, Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Things are revealed about the God of heaven. And one of them is by His providence when He fills our hearts and our bellies with food and gladness. The blessed and terrible God even loves His enemies by sending His Son and rain on His enemies. And He tells us to follow that great example. Even pagans and barbarians understood that evil providence was God's judgment. The mariners on a certain ship... I can't give away too much. Mariners on a ship where the storm was so bad, they began throwing the cargo that they were carrying overboard. And they were afraid to lose their lives, so they cast lots. And they called on every man to pray to his God. Because they wanted to find the God of the storm because they knew that storm was so unusual and so ferocious that it had to have come from God. Nothing was working. Their prayer meeting wasn't working. Throwing the cargo wasn't work, overboard wasn't working until they went down the, fold, the hold and found Jonah sawing logs down there. Because he didn't care about the storm as long as he was getting away from preaching. Right? And they said, oh, sleeper, you, you, you got to read Jonah 1. Do you love the Bible or not? The Bible is real. It's real history. Hey, sleeper, call on your God. We're about to drown. This ship's about to flounder out here in the middle of the sea. Oh, come on, guys. Don't you know? It is my God that sent this storm. He's upset at me. Remember when I told you when I got on board I was supposed to go preach at Nineveh and I didn't want to go preach? Just throw me overboard. Oh, we can't do that quite this quick. So they called, their, their prayer meeting went on for another hour. They prayed to their God. They couldn't just throw a man overboard in a storm like this. He's just standing there. Come on! Get it over with! The, the reason I want this whole story is not to entertain you. The reason I want the story is, even those pagan mariners understood that there was a God behind that storm. And then as they put together what he had told them when he bought his ticket and what he was telling them right now, they threw him overboard and asked God to have mercy on him and them. The storm immediately stopped. They praised the God of heaven. See, that's an event. God's wrath was revealed from heaven against Jonah in front of mariners. That news should have been... That storm was so ferocious. But there it is in the Word of God. Providence. See, even pagans understand... Paul was warming his hands by a fire on the island of Melita. They knew it was a prisoner ship on its way to Rome. Paul's warming his hands at the fire. He puts some wood in the fire and an ass comes out, latches onto his hand. He shakes it off. They know that ass. They know that no one's ever survived it before on their island. And they look at that and say, ha, 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 he's a murderer and he ain't getting away with it. 
A pagan? What's that coming from? Is there a little bit of conscience twirling around inside them? That know that murderers deserve to die? Are you with me when you read the Bible? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Did you know that the boundaries that make one nation's boundary and another nation's boundary are established by God according to Paul's explanation to the learned philosophers on Mars Hill that men might happily seek after God? The Lord has arranged all these national boundaries so that there would be wars, so that men would fear and have to call upon the God of heaven for deliverance. Because a united nations does not lead toward the knowledge of God. A united nations leads away from that, and Paul taught that on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, that we need national boundaries. I just want you to know that there's a whole lot of ways in which the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Even pagans, you've heard them say on the job, when someone gets a blessing, a bonus, an, un, an unforeseen bonus or promotion, he must be living right. Hmm. What do you say on that for you, atheistic pagan? Because they recognize providence of good providence is God's favor and bad providence is God's judgment. Though the timing may confuse saints from time to time because it doesn't happen in the time that they think it should, God has revealed His wrath from heaven. That's all the farther I'm going to go today. But I must go to the last words of this verse, Romans 1.18, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. God has blessed us with more truth than Nebuchadnezzar, Jonah's mariners, Darius, Cyrus, the centurion that oversaw the crucifixion, Cornelius. He's blessed us with more. Do you know what that means? We are responsible for more. He will hold us accountable for more. We cannot hold the truth in unrighteousness. If we're going to hold the truth, let's retain that knowledge of God that He's given us. Let's retain every bit of it. Let's not be willingly ignorant of a single thing that He's taught us. Let's refresh and remind each other of every point of truth that He's shown us. But then, my dear brothers... We better give God glory commensurate with that truth He's shown us. We better live righteous lives proportionate to that truth He's shown us. And we better give thanks to the God of heaven at knowing He is in charge of all these events and all that He has done in the Bible and in our own lives. We owe the great God of heaven a great deal. If we do not return the benefit... Hezekiah didn't return the benefit, and it did not go well for him. If we do not return the benefit, our Father will chasten us, even though we're living pretty well, because He's done better than pretty well in showing truth to us. And we are holding that truth. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 1 is so ferocious, it is God that is presently judging, will kill, and will send to the lake of fire all men for rejecting the natural creation. We have been shown truth about one million times greater. If we hold that truth and, and live unrighteously, what can be said? There will be judgment coming. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness and to cleanse us from all our sins. 
All we have to do is confess our sins and live a righteous life. He has blessed us so abundantly, and we praise and thank Thee, Heavenly Father, for being so merciful to us and having shown us so much truth, and we hold it dear this day. We are men of like precious faith in this small assembly, but we thank and bless Thee, Lord of heaven and earth, for we are unworthy of the least of all Your mercies and of all the truth that You have shown us. We thank You for the truth that You have shown us by Your natural creation, by Your providence in our consciences, and most of all, by the revelation of Holy Scripture of two testaments, and we revel in all that is contained there. Our Father in heaven, forgive us, for we have heard the word of the truth of the gospel and have walked out of this assembly or walked away from a cassette tape or a DVD player and lived an unrighteous life. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, for having heard the glorious gospel, the glad tidings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then lived a selfish, thankless life. Oh, Father, forgive us for complaining and whining, and bless us by your grace to work out our salvation with fear and trembling all the days of our lives. You have created us, and we are your workmanship to bring forth good works. You have redeemed us to yourself to be a peculiar people, zealous of those good works. Help us, Heavenly Father, to do them. Forgive us where we have failed to do them. Convict us by the power of the Holy Spirit, lest we be willingly ignorant of some or all of the truth that you have shown us. Help us to retain you in our knowledge at all times, that at every decision point in our lives, whether it's a decision to think, to speak, or to act, or not to think, or not to speak, or not to act, that we will retain the knowledge of God that you have blessed us with in our minds and thus turn unto thee. Heavenly Father, incline our hearts, direct our feet, and make us to go in the way of your commandments lest we sin against Thee in the great knowledge with which You have blessed us. Hear us as we call upon Thee, Heavenly Father. Our frame is so weak, I'm shaking while I pray. We are so incapable of doing this on our own. But we ask Thee, our Father in Heaven, to strengthen us, to protect us, to hedge us about from temptation and evil, and to bless us that we can live worthy of that glorious name by which we are called, and worthy of the truth that You have shown us, for which we thank Thee, and bless thee, and will hold dear until we see it fulfilled in its entirety in your presence. Hear us, Heavenly Father, as we call upon thee in Jesus' name. Amen.